Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Standing up for what's right. This is The Roy Green Show. A photograph of uh, Bruce Springsteen earlier in the week. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, he's aging. Well, we all are, but I uh, saw a photograph of Bruce and I thought, really did. I thought, who's that? His dad? See, I, I, I still think of him as being the, the guy who broke on the, uh, the scene and Playboy magazine wrote a piece about him and he was the rocker to watch. We are aging. Funny little story, I uh, had to go to uh, Services Canada about five or six years ago to get something done. I forget what it was, but they said, we need some documentation from you from when you were younger. And I said, well, I have an old uh, passport. This person I said to on the phone, I said, I have an old passport. They said, well, bring that. That'll be fine. So I went to the office, <laughs> young guy sitting at the, uh, at the desk, and he goes through all the paperwork, and I hand him the old passport. And I was 23 years of age at the time that uh, passport was valid. He looked at the passport, and he looked at me, he looked at the passport again, and then he looked at me again, and he said, pointing at the passport, what happened to that guy? Nice. Nice. Now, the, somebody who's never aged but has a portrait aging in a closet is Scott Newark, former Crown attorney. You're supposed to laugh now, you know. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's a it's called a prompt. I see. We've worked together for so many years. You'd think we'd have the act down by now. I know, but your prompts are sometimes uh, a little weak, a little yeah. on the weak side. Yes, well, a little difficult to define. I, that wasn't what I was expecting from the guy when he looked at your passport. What did you expect? Well, I thought he might have asked, like, you know, where the beard went and everything else. I didn't actually you know what that's. I didn't have a beard then. I had a beard after that. Oh, but that then, but that you time I didn't. Biker? Huh? Oh, yeah, I was a biker. a biker. Yeah. Okay, I, so that explains it. Yeah, I rode bikes for years. Actually, I, I probably had a beer before that and then after that. Why are we talking about this? Because I brought it up. That's correct. Because no, I can't find my notes. <laughs> Mr. Newark is a former Alberta Crown attorney. He's the former executive director of the Canadian Police Association and was a security advisor to both the Ontario and federal governments of Canada, was a senior policy advisor to a federal minister for public safety, and is an adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University, and we're going to be talking to Scott about three issues. And um, what do you say we start out with the one that's been getting a lot of positive response, but not from you and not so much from me, and that is that the Federal Correctional Service is starting a prison needle exchange program, uh, yes. and they say that this is that all the prisons have to have it, and it's to 
stop the spread of disease. So from your perspective, what's wrong with that argument? Well, um, first of all, I, I think the evidence actually is in what I've read that the, uh, there has been a decline in the, uh, the prevalence of uh, hep C from uh, 2007 to uh, 2017, which is when the uh, needle exchange program was canceled. I, I, I was thinking about this when I first saw the story because it was an issue that uh, I remember was present when I was helping Stockwell Day, and I think it was ultimately decided, and the Conservatives revoked the needle exchange program, and I think entirely appropriately so. You know, it is absolutely true that there's obviously a disproportionately high number of offenders who are in jail because of their problems with drugs, and um, I just think it's, quite frankly, a betrayal of the, you know, the, the basic concept of uh, our uh, intention to rehabilitate people that we give them the means by which they can illegally inject themselves with drugs. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a bad idea for the offenders themselves. It also, uh, you know, the nature of the injection is through needles, which can be used as weapons, which potentially puts other inmates at risk, and um, as well to uh, the guards who work inside the prison. So, I mean, I think it is, for, to be perfectly blunt, I agree with the guy who is the, uh, the head of the union that was uh, quoted, uh, Jason Godin, who actually said that, you know, this is more a function of Correctional Service of Canada just throwing up their hands and, and giving up once again and just saying, sure, we'll let them go ahead and do this. I think it's terribly wrong. And then get somebody to write the news release. Yeah, And give course. it the positive spin. And many in mainstream media just follow along and say, well, it must be so because they said it so. Yeah, as opposed to asking the questions like, what are the consequences? What are I the think, consequences? I mean, I know you spent a significant amount of time involved with uh, CORCAN, with Correction Service of Canada. Yeah, well, yeah, I did. During my time as well, too, when I was asked to go and, you know, uh, visit prisons and speak with people, um, I think you did as well, too, in speaking with the inmate committees. Yep. Yeah. That's the, just for your listeners, that's the committees actually made up of inmates that theoretically have some influence on policy and on uh, grievances, things like that. And I, I remember a couple of different inmate committees talking about the desirability if they could, you know, only get Correctional Service of Canada to take some leadership, or the government of Canada to take some leadership and to consciously open, you know, drug-free prisons where inmates who genuinely wanted to get away from this wouldn't have to be faced with having these drugs and people on drugs around them all mm -hmm. the time. And they even said that they would, you know, be happy to participate in screening the people to get in there to make sure that they focused their attention on the people who genuinely wanted rehabilitation instead of letting, you know, the, uh, what's the phrase, the inmates run the asylum? Yeah. Well, when, when I did a show from inside Joyceville Prison and I sat in the warden's boardroom with the inmates committee, it was just our engineer Philip Anderson and me and uh, and the and the inmates come in. No guards, nothing. Just just yeah. the inmates. And I'll tell you, Scott. After two hours of sitting with these members of the inmates committee, first of all, they were all highly intelligent guys, and then secondly, they made a lot more sense than the bureaucrats who ran Correctional Service Canada. And somebody said to me, "Well, when you when you say they're highly intelligent guys, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, they were very successful at the careers they chose." Eventually, they were caught, yeah. but when they were out, they were successful. Don't, don't expect these people to be stupid because they're not. And they, had, they, they made some extremely sensible suggestions vis-a-vis -vis what we've heard from Correctional Service Canada, which so often is politically correct stuff. And I was on the uh, Federal Minister of Public Safety's advisory board for, correct, for CORCAN, 
And that's a program that is really useful. And uh, inmates who want to really learn a trade learn the trade and they learn it properly and they have to live by the rules of the prison in order to continue to qualify for Corcan. And then when they get the, the diplomas, these are not prison diplomas or journeyman certificates. These are journeyman certificates handed out by the province in which they yeah. are in prison. So then when they get out of prison, they actually have a, a, a career they can go to. Really, yeah, really see, good I, program. I think that's the core issue is, is what I would call the lack of leadership at Correctional Services of Canada. Um, their metric of success is, you know, no must, no fuss. Uh, they don't want to have a story in the uh, the news. They want to be able to say, oh, yeah, we delivered these programs as opposed to whether we've actually had an impact on reducing recidivism rates. It's why they're uh, uh, really uh, not exactly open about providing the most relevant information about things. And I think this is just the uh, the latest program. It's probably, you know, um, at a political level, my guess is it's probably well-intentioned without somebody asking exactly the kinds of questions you're raising, because they do need to be raised. Yeah. Well, we, uh, you and I will never forget when a Correctional Service Canada spokesperson referred to you and me and everyone who has not right. been convicted of a criminal offense as non-convicted individuals living in the community. Yes. I suppose it is all the lens through which one sees the world. Suppose. What about uh, what about we take a break here? When we come back, I want to ask you about the moving of uh, CBSA agents, or what do they call them, agents? Op- yes, uh, border officers, yes. Border officers, moving them from various locations in Canada to the Quebec-New York border because of what's happening there. I don't know how much good that does because they're not stopping migrants, but they're taking CBSA agents from other border crossings and airports and moving them to Quebec. What's the upshot of this going to be? Delays at other border crossings or potentially a problem with making the border more susceptible to terrorist entry. That's my guess. We'll talk to Scott about that. And there was a Lebanese-Canadian professor who was extradited to to France. Scott wrote a piece on this in... uh, investigativeproject.org, and I gather Mr. Newark believes, and from what I read in his, in his column, this extradition never should have happened. We'll come right back. Straight talk, no nonsense, honest debate. This is The Roy Green Show. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. I'm on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Follow me there, and I'll be posting uh, podcasts of uh, the interviews that we air this weekend, as we do each weekend. And you can also get the podcasts of the interviews and all, every segment we air, everything that we air at RoyGreenShow.com on uh, the webpage. Now, back to uh, Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta. And uh, currently, Scott is an adjunct professor in the TRSS program in the School of Criminology at Simon Fraser University. A bit of criminology, a bit of criminal activity going on at the border yesterday between New York and Quebec when the Antifa thugs showed up. Yeah. You look at these people, you know, none of them would, could, could survive 30 seconds in a bar fight. But, <laughs> but they show up there and they start to rough up women which is a you know real real sign of courage and commitment and uh, and so now we have that going on plus we have the border being uh, overrun in some cases and thousands coming in 
that are not supposed to be in the country, and Trudeau's doing nothing, the square root of nothing. Um, and now they're going to bring a whole series of border officers, CBC, CBSA officers, might as well take the CBC there too, uh, CBSA officers to the border for what purpose? They need them there. Uh, they have to uh, do processing uh, oh, after the I, RCMP I yeah, yeah, I uh, detain them and then ask uh, virtually, uh, they act virtually as a valet service. Yeah, yeah. And they drive them to the CBSA office uh, down the official uh, office of the CBSA, which these people are avoiding. That's when the process kicks in, and the second stage of interviews and screening and everything else goes on and scheduling dates for subsequent hearings and things like that. So if they show up. It's a necessary part of the process, but it was inevitable, Roy. And this is something people have warned about for quite a while, uh, that this was going to occur. When you add an additional unexpected uh, demand on resources like this, you're going to have to take resources elsewhere. And in particular, it's now manifested itself in, um, I'm told, in uh, southwest Ontario um, land ports of entry and as well at uh, airports, where literally uh, passengers are on planes and being told uh, we're going to have to sit on the plane for an hour because... Uh, the uh, uh, customs clearance is all backed up. Uh, this is this is not an accident, by the way. This is something that was uh, uh, forecast and has been spoken of. And in full disclosure, I, among the other things, uh, I'm one of the guys that did the review that led to the arming of CBSA officers back in uh, 2006. It was, in fact, the reason to make sure that got done that I went in to help my friend Stockwell Day, who was the new uh, minister, because there was such fierce opposition to it. Uh, and I still do work with the union. And this actually goes back, this officer shortage actually goes back to uh, budget 2010 when the conservatives decided, understandably, that they wanted to reduce spending so as to achieve a balanced budget. They introduced something called the Deficit Reduction Action Plan, or DRAP, that was supposed to cut uh, you know, duplicative bureaucracy and unnecessary management, things like that. Well, that's how it was applied throughout government. But at CBSA, it actually resulted in the cut of frontline positions. And I mean officers working at primary inspection, mm -hmm. secondary inspection, domestic intelligence, uh, export uh, clearance, um, the uh, international uh, intelligence, immigration enforcement and removals. Since the time that it started and these cuts were made, there has been a reduction of approximately 1,100 frontline officers. From so a total of how well, many? Guess what? Of course there's a shortage of frontline personnel. Yeah, from a total of how, how many? Approximately 1,100 positions have not been refilled. Okay, I got you. But we, do, do you know how many people there were before the 1,100 were? Well, it was, the numbers got up, I think, as high as about 11,000. Okay. But 1,100, 10% is going to be felt. Well, of course it is. Yeah. And it's just that it hasn't been... They haven't been refilled on the positions. Yeah. So, but what's the point? You know, as you say, what's the point of taking the, to the border in Quebec when when the border is only being overrun and the only people who are being checked are people who go through the in-place border crossings, which may be Canadians coming home, and they're being asked if they bought too much alcohol. Well, no, that's the point, is that even when the people cross the border illegally, mm -hmm. they are delivered or chauffeured by the RCMP no, I get the it. CBSA office. I get it. So we've got to have the personnel on the ground to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. But when that happens, that means we are reducing resources, and as you, you alluded to quite correctly, I mean, we've got other situations we have to deal with, like returning jihadis coming from overseas, 
the, um, uh, the potential. No, but the prime minister says if you do anything about that, you're being divisive. He's wrong. Okay, it's an expectation of uh, public safety. People have the right to have their government institutions do that. Um, We've got, it's going to be a nightmare with the legalization of marijuana, with drugs coming both, uh, you know, back and forth both directions. We're not going to have the capacity to deal with that. If we ever do fix this illegal entry, you watch. Uh, People will start coming not just to the point where they can walk over to the RCMP, but between ports of entry, which CBSA now is not allowed to, participate in, and again, because they don't have the resources to actually do it. Mm. And that includes, for example, people in the United States who are non-citizens, criminals in the United States, who if the Americans start to track crack down on them, you guess where they're going to come. Yeah, and I, yeah. I include gang members in that. I have to, I have to move you to the last topic because sure. we only have two minutes. But when you mentioned the gang members, I spoke yesterday with uh, yeah. Yoman um, Grillo, who is uh, international experts on Central American and South American gangs. Oh, I'm S-13, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the picture he painted, very, very These frightening, terrifying. bad guys. Terrifying, really bad guys. Yes. Who are ready to ter- overturn governments. Uh, now, Professor Diab, you've got about a minute and a half to fill us in what happened. Okay, bottom line is this is a guy who was a, uh, originally from uh, Lebanon. He came to Canada. He was believed... Uh, I think it was in 2008, the French authorities said, oh, we have reason to believe that he was the mastermind of this uh, Palestinian jihad attack on a synagogue in Paris in 1980. Uh, They wanted him brought back. The French system is not like ours, though. There were no charges against him. It was for, in effect, investigative purposes. And so our Extradition Act kicked in, which is a very, very old statute. The evidence against this guy was really, really sketchy. He was extradited. Uh, he spent three years in custody before France finally went, oops, I guess there really isn't any evidence, and so they returned him. And his lawyers have been trying to point out how the system needs to be reformed, and I, I obviously agree with that. Mm-hmm. What just happened last week, actually, or earlier this week, I think, was that um, uh, CBC ran a story, that it, and it obviously got information leaked from the Department of Justice, just like what happened with Omar Khadr. got 20 seconds. Somebody leaked information about what was going on. Yeah that not only was the evidence against this guy deficient, but in fact Canadian Department of Justice lawyers withheld relevant information from the courts, including exculpatory evidence, where the French sent over his fingerprints and the RCP did a test and they didn't match. So he should not have been extradited, more than likely. Pardon me? He should not have been extradited, more than likely. No, he should definitely not have been extradited. What worries me is in today's world... We need to have a system yeah, Scott, I gotta of integrity go. that the courts will trust. Thank you for the call. Thank you for All the right. time. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney from Alberta. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joe Warmington. You will not want to miss this.